Yes, yes, y'all. We're back again for another one. It's Ali Don, host of the First Fridays podcast here at thegodcollection.com. And today we have a very special guest in the house. It's Vivid Scientific, the lyrical miracle. What up? What's going on? Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so glad that I was finally able to catch up with you to do this interview because you hot right now in these streets. You bubbling right now in these streets. Uh, maybe simmering. I don't know. Little simmering, Just little Denver, a little Denver simmer. <laughs> yeah, your songs is playing on the radio. Anytime I turn on the radio, I get so excited whenever I hear your music because it's that raw. That real, that gritty hip hop sound. I just love that flavor that you've always been able to keep in your music. I appreciate it. Right on. I appreciate you, man. It's always good to have people that really tap into that sound still. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I've got some questions for you that I want to ask, and I think it might be really helpful for anybody who's coming up in the music industry. So first, I want to talk to you about, like, what's one of the strangest things that you've seen or observed in the music business so far? One of the strangest things. You know what? One thing that I found very strange, and it seems to be a trend that's happening now, is that established artists are really trying to take advantage of like their fan base and their and you know their listeners and what i mean by that is you'll see a lot of these artists put out there that they're looking to collab with um, up-and-comers and that you know they're putting together a project and they're looking for talent and you know that's all good and well but uh, from my experience with dealing with that on the back end is really what they're looking for is just a pay-to-play type of situation, right? It's kind of just a hustle for them. And, you know, I've I've been surprised to see some of the artists that have partaken in this. Uh, I don't think it's a good trend. I think it's very strange. I think it's disingenuous to Mm. their fans. And, you know, I'm just not with it. I think it's it's crazy that it's, it's been happening so frequently. I see it, like, all the time. Well, it's interesting that you say that because not only is that happening in music where artists are reaching out to other artists specifically on social media and asking to pay a price to be included on a mixtape. So a big artist is hitting you up in your DMs saying, hey, such and such, you know, big artists that you've heard of, we're going to be dropping a collaboration mixtape project. If you want to get a verse on here, if you want to get a song on the mixtape, just pay X, Y, and Z amount of money and you can be a part of the album. Right. Yep. That's exactly what it is. And that's all good and fine, but they don't really tell you the full picture of what it is. It's typically not just a mixtape, more or less uh, a volume of mixtapes, right? It'll be like seven or eight, different tapes that are going to drop with like 50 songs on it a piece where it's like the way they present it to you is like okay this is a great opportunity to hop on a singular tape right and get some exposure and that's just not really what the situation is wow so that is something to watch out for because i'm sure a lot of artists especially if they're doing their thing they're getting radio play they're making a name for themselves you know bigger artists are going to start hearing about the traction that they're making and start hitting them up, wanting to work with them. And the collaboration might not be what you thought it was. Exactly. Yeah. You just got to be very wary of, you know, those type of opportunities when they come around, you know, they say it all the time. It's nothing's ever what it seems to be, you know what I mean? And especially in the music industry. Uh, And this is just from my uh, opinion and from my experiences, but I, I assume that a lot of artists have, you know, experienced things similar. You know, and I remember you said when we were talking before, there's different tactics that they use to kind of draw you in. Like you said, sometimes yeah. it's the gorgeous women on Instagram yeah. that are contacting to get you. More creative with it, um, and this is more just kind of the promotion marketers. But I get hit up pretty much daily by different marketers and people trying to get me to pay to um, get on a playlist or to get some views on Spotify or on uh, Instagram or what have you. And, you know, before it would just, it would seem like it would just be a lot of male individuals doing it, like the actual people themselves. But what I've noticed over the last couple months is I've been hit up by a lot of attractive females, right? And they'll, the way that they approach you is in a way where it's like not music related at first 
you know, those, they'll come at you like, Hey, like they're trying to talk to you. And then if you ever engage in that conversation, you'll find out that it's really just a ploy for them to try to get you to come spend some money on marketing in some kind of way. It's crazy. Wow. Definitely getting creative with it. Wow. And it's a lot of different hustles, just like you said, because this is something that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun that people say, right. you know, this is something that's been going on for a while. Like even in the modeling industry, for example, there might be photographers reaching out to mm -hmm. models saying, Hey, pay me X, Y, and Z amount of money and I'll get you in a magazine or I'll put your comp card together. If you pay me, I can try to get you a deal with a modeling agency. So it's always important to be weary whenever someone's asking you for money, because if they really want to work with you, oftentimes, especially in an industry like that, they'll sign you to a contract to where you can get paid. They won't be asking exactly. you to pay yourself out exactly. your pocket. Yeah. So it's good to have some discernment because there are some things that we're doing, especially as independent artists, where you do have to come out the pocket and you have to pay for certain things. But then there are certain things that you shouldn't have to pay for at all. Well, yeah, and no, I mean, nothing's really free, right, necessarily, but it's like when they approach you and they're coming from a position of where they're already established and they're making it seem like they're doing you a favor. And unfortunately for somebody like myself, I've been approached by so many different scams and different hustles that, like, I just don't even trust anything at this point. I get DMs from people talking about, hey, your music's fire, and I don't know if it's a fan. I don't know if it's somebody that's trying to sell me something. Because seven out of ten times, if I respond to that DM with like, hey, thank you, it turns immediately into a sales pitch. Yeah. Right? So it's like now I don't even like, I, I don't hardly even answer DMs anymore unless it's from people I know or people that I'm already following or something like that. Can't even trust the compliments that you're Can't getting. Trust it. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it is. It's so important to be mindful of these things because even being creative, different ways for artists to make money, especially during the pandemic, where artists weren't really touring so much anymore. Well-known, established artists were negotiating other kinds of deals to where it's an undercover type of hustle that you wouldn't even suspect like for example SZA I love SZA it was a couple of months ago she was selling tickets so you can watch a web stream online watch her watch her concert now you had to subscribe to this website in order to buy the ticket so not only are you buying SZA's tickets to watch the show for that one particular day, you would also have to read through this terms and conditions of the app that you're using to watch the show. And in the terms and conditions, it's like a monthly membership or some kind of membership subscription that they're going to be charging you for who knows how long and what they're going to be charging you for further on down the line. So I'm like, whoa, right. wait a second. I'm thinking I'm just about to see SZA watching this show, but it seems like I'm signing right. my life on the you dotted line to some, something else. Yeah, yeah. there's no transparency with these people, and they do that purposefully, right? They don't, you know, it's a hustle at the end of the day. And I don't know. Yeah. And this is like coming from somebody that's, you know, a relatively lower level in the industry. I don't really have any major success in any, you know, type of form. So I could only imagine the higher up on the chain you get, the more successful you become. I'd imagine issues like this are even more prevalent. Yeah. And I think it's good to keep this in mind, too, even for your brand, like when you're getting certain deals coming your way. I mean, even the bigger artists, they get all kinds of deals coming their way. I heard some podcasters, they were being kind of critical of Megan The Stallion's hottie sauce at Popeye's. You know, yeah. they're like, hey, should we be should we be taking every single deal that comes our way? Yeah, I don't know. I think some of that stuff's questionable. For sure. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the lifespan of a lot of artists is not very long. And so I can kind of understand when an artist gets in the game and just capitalizes on, you know, anything that comes their way. Because there's no guarantee that they're going to be here next month, next year, you know, next decade. That's really just not the trend. Well, that's true. Uh, a lot of these artists get on and then they're off just as quick as they, you know, they started popping. So, you know, I can't really necessarily fault them too much for trying to trying to hustle and, and, and figure out ways to get their bag. But it's just it's one of those things where on the outside looking in, you can kind of understand it from a perspective. But mm -hmm. when it's happening, when you're in the industry and it's happening to you or, you know, you're trying to make your you're trying to build your own brand, then it just really sucks. Yeah. Who's to say if I were to get on tomorrow? I wouldn't be doing a 7-Up commercial that don't even really make sense for my brand, but 
that's the bag that they're giving you. Like, do you turn that down just to, you know, save face? And I guess back in the day, they used to call that selling out. But Right. I remember Eminem was really outspoken about that. Like, he would never see Eminem, even at the height of his career. He wasn't taking a lot of endorsement deals where you might see a lot yeah. of other artists and certain commercials popping up with certain brands and labels and whatnot. Like, he would always turn them down. But, yeah. you know, as a performance psychologists you know I've done a lot of research about how artists can be successful in the music industry and making favorable deals is one of the most important things that an artist can do in order to further their career to the point that you were saying you just never know how long an artist is going to be hot you know people say strike while the iron is hot so while you have a name for yourself that is the best time to start negotiating deals that are favorable for you so, I mean, it is a, a matter of branding and just thinking critically, strategically, like, okay, if I partner with this brand, is it going to help me? Should I secure this bag? Do I like the way I'm going to be looking if I'm partnered up with this particular brand? I think if it coincides with something you believe in, like if 7-Up, you know, maybe not 7-Up, but maybe you drink Sprite. Like, hey, I drink Sprite. I don't mind working right. with Sprite. Yeah, That's cool. Justify it in some kind of way. Yeah, you know, justify it in some kind of way. Like if it's a brand that you're already familiar with, you already like it. And they're offering you a good deal. You know, I think it's important to use that art of negotiation instead of just taking something that comes your way. Like, go back and forth, have a conversation, see how this deal could be most beneficial for us as artists. You know, we don't have to just take it at face value. We have the power to be able to negotiate the deal in a way that works for us. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of things to watch out for. Like, we already knew about the hip-hop police, you know what I mean? But now we got to watch out for these online hustles that are coming our way. Yeah. Wow. Hip-hop police is getting sophisticated now because I saw something on, um, maybe it was Twitter, where Facebook was actually asking the LAPD to, they were actively telling them to stop creating fake accounts and monitoring hip-hop artists. Like, this is Facebook telling LAPD this. I'm like, well, damn. Well, I'm not. police is done. Change with the times. Yeah, I know. I mean, they're getting on technology, using it as well to start following and tracking artists. And they're using a lot of these incriminating things that artists are posting on social media. They're using it against them to get charged, to get booked, to get jail time. Yep. So, I mean, the hip-hop police is real. Like, it's not even a joke. They've been around for a long time. I remember seeing a documentary on TV where they were showing a board. Like, it's like one of those detective shows that you might see on TV where they have, like, a board with the pictures and they have lines drawing, connected people. It was a real-life documentary where that's actually what was happening. And the police were following certain artists and linking them to certain crimes. So they do have crime units in the police departments that are specifically following and looking at hip-hop artists oh no doubt waiting for them to slip up yeah that's why it's always so shocking to me sometimes when these guys that are already getting on are still getting mixed up with all that silly stuff you know what i mean? like how are you still you know getting involved with crime and, and getting caught up with you saw what happened with fetty wap recently oh yeah you know, oh my like, gosh i saw the pictures how yeah <laughs> It just baffles me, but I don't know. I mean, a lot of times those artists, that's kind of what they come from, and that's what they know, and they take the money that they've earned from from music and try to, you know, put it back into the streets, and uh, it's just unfortunate when they get caught up with stuff like that. It is unfortunate. I felt bad when I saw, like, all that money bagged up, all that drug money that they had bagged up. When they all got arrested, it's like, man, all that money could have went to their family, their kids, you know, but now it's just police evidence sitting in a locker somewhere. Uh, That's really a shame to to see when people get caught up with that kind of stuff. One thing I noticed in the industry, a lot of artists, maybe not even a lot, it's probably even a small percentage of hip-hop artists that come from the streets, they come from drug money they come from that environment where they're on the block like they really are out there selling and they feel like hip-hop kind of saved them their life hip-hop took them off the streets yeah but i remember you saying that's kind of like a cop-out like you don't need hip-hop to like get you to stop selling drugs you don't need hip-hop to to steer you down the right path no you really don't but i mean it, it definitely i don't want to take away from experience and if that's you know, their case because, you know, a lot of times that is, you need, sometimes people can't make it out of their, 
their hood without sports or music or what have you, you know, but I think a lot of people use that as their excuse or, or as their reasoning when that's not actually their reality. Yeah, I hear you. So let me ask you this then. So how did you keep your head on straight coming up, getting into a little bit of trouble, whether it was in or out of your control? I remember a long time ago, you were telling me a story about how when you were in college, you were getting stopped by the police just walking down the street. You weren't even doing anything. Oh, yeah. So how did you stay out of trouble and, you know, stay in the music industry and stay responsible? You know, I don't think it was anything, no secret to it or anything. I think I was always been the type of person to have um, a good amount of common sense. I never really hung with the wrong group of people or anything like that. I've always been able to intermingle in all different types of circles, right, um, and get along with all kinds of people and know all kinds of people. But I was always smart enough to know when and when not to, you know, move certain ways, right? And I think a lot of that is just honestly common sense, uh, the way I was raised, and like I said, people I hung around with. I don't know, I've just never really been the knucklehead, honestly. (laughs) But I think a lot of that comes from your background, like coming up, just having positive influences around you. Right, exactly. It's like, like the way you were raised, and they always say, you you know, What's the saying that they say if you want to, um, like the people who are, who you surround yourself with are going to be your biggest influence at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. So you just got to make sure that those type of people you're keeping close are about something, you know, and, or at least trying to be about something. And I think that's a big piece of it, you know, because as, as kids, especially, they're so easily influenced and they, a lot of times... They just want to do what they think is cool and what their friends think is cool and and that sort of thing. You just got to be smart at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, there's that saying, you're only as good as the company you keep. Exactly. There it is. Yeah. So, I mean, you had to come from a pretty good background, you know, because there's a lot of people who might think that we came up privileged, but we just came from, like, working class families regular working class people yeah you know so now that you're a parent so what is the biggest challenge as a parent in this day and age do you think i think the i think from my experience the biggest challenge to a parent is just their level of access to information is just um, they just have so much access to anything with the internet. You know, if this is digital age, they don't, my son's 11 years old. He's never not known what the internet was or had access to it. So it's just so easy for them to be exposed to, you know, things that they probably shouldn't see at such a young age. And I think that that's probably one of the hardest things is you can't, it's very hard to monitor what they see, what they're intaking. And this is like now in 2021, right? It's, I feel like this type of issue is only going to get worse for parents and harder to, to manage for sure. But yeah, I would say just information overload. You know, they can, you've seen stuff at 11 that, you know, I probably haven't, I didn't see or know about for a few years down the road, you know, type of thing. So the internet, man. Dang, so what do you say? Like, what can you say that's encouraging to someone who's got a kid? It's like, okay, there's no hope. Like, these kids is online now. Like, what can you say to make sure that you can keep your kid headed down the right path? Well, I, again, I think it really just goes back to, like, the, the values you try to instill to them, right? And, and the way that you conduct yourself as a as a person, right? They really, they're going to learn from you the most uh, mm-hmm. before anything. So it's just making sure that they, you know, you're instilling the, the, the values that you want into them and, and making sure that they keep a, a solid um, foundation with that and a, a good head on their shoulders. Um, easier said than done yeah. um, in a lot of cases. Um, and I think it's kid by kid too. You know, not all, you know, I've been pretty fortunate. My son's, you know, a relatively good kid. Don't have too many issues. He, you know, he listens well and he learns from his mistakes, type of thing. Not all kids are the same, you know. So I think it's like I said, it's just it's one of those things. It's very hard to manage as a parent. Yeah. And you know, I just see it getting worse, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. Move further and further down this digital road. 
wow. going to be in the meta here soon. Dang, you right? Meta? That sounds crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be virtual reality, like for real type stuff. So, I know. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I definitely empathize for parents that, um, you know, have to deal with that. Like, my kid, we don't let him have social media is one thing. Like, he doesn't have any social media. We can try to limit some of the things, but I mean, eventually that's going to be something he's going to have to be able to partake in, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So speaking of being as good as the company you keep, let's talk about collaborations because music is very much a collaborative effort. Even if someone is a solo artist, you still have to work with a lot of different people to get your project off the ground, to get a video shot, to get your song mixed, mastered, to even get beats, you know, the whole nine. So how do you enable others to act and complete a project that you're working on? Have you ever noticed, like, sometimes you want to get an album done, but the people that you need to help you get it done are kind of, like, just dragging? Or, you know, if you want to get a video shot, trying to get everybody together, even all the extras. Like, how do you enable everyone to act to get your project complete? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something I've encountered a lot. I feel like it's... I saw something on Instagram earlier today where it was saying that how rappers have it bad. They have to pay for the beat, they have to write the song, they have to pay for the studio, they have to pay for the video shoot, pay for the mixing, pay for the promotion. With and no guarantee. It's very tough out here. And, and yeah, like trying to just get people on the same page can definitely be very, you know, very hard. What I've found in the past is I just always try to plan ahead with everything. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to have a studio session and I need people there, I'm scheduling it weeks out. You know what I'm saying? I'm reminding people as it approaches. Same with video shoots. I just try to stay organized as best as I can and and make sure I'm communicating with all parties involved just so we can try to stay on task and, and, and uh, finish whatever project we're working on. Now, what about videos, like concepts for videos? Do you come up with a concept or do you work with a director who gives you a concept? A little bit of both. My preference is, is because I've already done, like usually when I'm doing a video, it's like I've already done so much. Unless I actually have like a specific vision for it, I try to work with videographers that can kind of supply that for me. Like that's kind of a part of their job too in my in my yeah. eyes. Where, okay, where are we going to shoot? Do you have any ideas on location? Do you have any ideas on what we should do? You know what I mean? So I definitely try to rely on them. Um, a little bit more than I do in other aspects of my music creation process, but that's not always that doesn't always work out either. A lot of times, there some videographers are just like point and shoot. You know what I mean? You really got to kind of guide the entire process. So my preference is definitely to work with somebody who has more of a vision and and more of a creative lens behind the camera for sure. Well, that makes sense. And what about? working on an album like is it kind of the same way like when you work on an album when you think about the concept of the album is it something that's cohesive or do you put basically some of your favorite singles some of your favorite lucy's do you like put them all together to make an album that also depends i think on which producer i'm working with or what the the project is i've been doing a lot of projects with one producer exclusively you know like the entire album will be produced by one person mm -hmm. and in those type of situations i try to make some cohesiveness to the actual project there's always like bullet points that i try to hit in my own mind when i'm making songs for an album like i want to have i want a story song i want something that females are like i want something hard i want something that'll potentially could be played and a, uh, you know, on the radio or something like that. I want, you know, I, I have different bullet points that I try to hit just because I feel like when I listen to an album, I like that well-roundedness to it. Yeah. But that's not always the case. In some other projects I've done where it might have not, it started off as maybe a couple Lucy's working with a producer and then two Lucy's turned into four, which turned into six. And it just kind of, at some point, you have so many songs, you're like, oh, well, we might as well make an EP out of this. Those ones usually aren't as cohesive as like an actual album, per se. So yeah. it just really kind of depends. I've only done one album that is like a combination of a bunch of different producers. One solo album, I should say. 
most everything I've done has been working with a, a singular person. And then I'm always open to their input as well. But the way I write songs typically too is just depending on what the beat says to me a lot of times. If the beat sounds like some sad type of, you know, vibes, then you're probably going to get sad vibes out of me. If it's some hype, you know what I'm saying, party type sound and stuff to me, then that's probably the type of song you'll get. I think working with the same producer too on a project, that is a good way to keep everything sounding cohesive. You know, and then oftentimes, and then oftentimes when an artist tries to change it up and work with somebody else, they'll get a different sound and they might even end up losing their fans a little bit because they're not used to hearing something that was so different. I can, I can say like, that was true for like Amory, the R&B singer, for example, uh-huh. like she had her first album that I believe is like a classic, like nostalgic. I just love that album. But she worked with the same person throughout the whole song, whether it was the producer or the co-writer or the writer of the majority of the songs. It was the same person throughout the whole entire project. And then uh-huh. by the time she came to her second album, she was working with somebody different. The same thing happened with Ashanti, too. When she came out with her album, it was Irv Gotti working on the whole thing. And then after that. She started working with other people and the sound just wasn't quite the same. So yeah. do you ever notice that happens where you try to change it up? You, you're you working on the next project. You're working with somebody different. Do you ever have someone coming to you say, well, what happened to that sound that you had before? Like we, we missed the old vivid. Like, like what do you, you do? Know, yeah, kind of, kind of like, especially maybe more so when I first started, you know, I've been making music for like about four years now. Um, but yeah, I, I did experience some of that feedback in the beginning stages more, I feel like, um, because when I came out, you, you know, it was mostly boom bap type sound, hardcore flow, you know what I'm saying, Ly- super lyrical, stuff like that. But then as I grew as an artist, and just with my own sound and with my own creativity, I started doing different sounds, and a lot of times I go out of my way to try to do something different. You know what I mean? I don't want all my projects to sound the same. So, yeah, so then I, you know, I would work with a different producer whose sound would be more sonic or something like that. And the reception wasn't the same. And I would, you know, definitely would get people that try to say, hey, you should definitely try to stick to this type of style. Or I like you better when you're coming on these kind of beats. And I mean, that's fine. I think everybody's entitled to their preferences and, and what they like out of their artists. But I'm not the type of artist to be uh, put in a box like that. And I think the more, the longer, um, the more I keep making music, I think my, my, the people that tap in with me understand that they, they know that I have a, a certain level of versatility that can't be just, you know, put into a boom bot type of setting, for example, you know what I mean? So, um, I think your fans grow with you in some cases, mm-hmm. uh, but in other cases, like you said, they they still probably prefer a certain style from their their favorite artists. So what should an artist do if they're getting that feedback? Like even Summer Walker, a lot of people are saying, okay, she's not working so much with London on the track no more. Well, now she's working with Sean Garrett. The sound is different. People aren't expecting this sound to come from her. Like what would somebody do when they're hearing all that kind of feedback? Like, is it cool to go back to what you were doing, go back to those collaborations or should the artist just be like, you know what, this is the direction I'm going. Y'all need to come with me. Or stay behind. If you want the old whatever, then listen to my old album, like Jay-Z was saying. Yeah. I mean, I guess it probably just depends on the artist, what they have envisioned for, you know, what they're doing. For me personally, I jump around a lot. You know what I mean? I'll do different kinds of stuff. I, I like, like I said, I like to do different stuff. So, but I think it also makes it that much more special when you do circle back and do something that's more in your traditional lane. I think people appreciate it almost a little bit more at that point because maybe they haven't heard it for a few projects. You know what I mean? And so when you get back to it, it's like, oh, that's right. We almost forgot. It's like a reminder to them. I don't know. I think it just probably depends on the artist. If they're, uh, you, you, you definitely there's a there's a balance between making music for people and making music for fans and making music for yourself, right? Mm, yeah, I've always been kind of more of the person that makes for me that I think's dope more than what I feel like somebody wants to hear from me. 
Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But what I want to hear is one of your songs from your latest album, Vivid Sunday. So we're going to take a quick break and bring it right back. So here it is. It's On God with Vivid Scientific and Gloomy Sunday right here on the First Fridays podcast at thegodcollection.com. On everything I love, man, I put that on everything above, man, I put that on God, it's a miracle, the lyrics I put out when I spit, it's like a biblical account, man, I put that on God. On everything I love, man, I put that on everything above, man, I put that on God, it's a miracle, the lyrics I put out when I spit, it's like a biblical account, man, I put that on God. The gospel I wrote was like God spoke, I could ghost write for the Pope, I write quotes that'll bring you out the dark like a ray of hope. A lion's heart, but they say I'm goat. I got some animals that's trained to go. We on the wave that's gaining slope. I'ma need the same boat Noah floated. I'ma take the same passage that Moses opened. Never questioning the path, cause I know I'm chosen. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. No weapon forged against me shall impede my steps. These Philistines ain't appeased, they ain't seeing my death. But let him cast the first stone, be the purest within. Death is the way just sin. You make a bet, you better play it to win. The reaper come around to collect is a daily event And ain't shit that you can say to him then Just pay up, that's it, it's too late Ain't no way to repent But if you live the good faith When you reach Peter's gate, you get in Your fate's weighed by the way that you live These the games of angels and men Since the day it began The snake slithered with a charm through the holy garden I sat in awe as she picked fruit from the orchard She was gorgeous The black woman is a goddess The knowledge was forbidden But we still enjoyed it the taste of the sweetest poison Spirits leaving me anointed Yet feeling poignant My curiosity was born And I can't ignore it I've been naked all along Man, I need some clothing Then I need a new home Then I need a chain Made of solid gold And the Holy Ghost rolls Just a rolling Lord knows I've been chosen on everything I love, man, I put that on everything above, man, I put that on God, it's a miracle, the lyrics I put out when I spit, it's like a biblical account, man, I put that on God. On God, Vivid Scientific, the lyrical miracle with Gloomy Sunday, that song was off of the latest album called Vivid Sunday, and it's available on all streaming platforms right now, make sure you check that out. Now, before we took that break, we were talking about when collaborators reunite to bring that old thing back. You know, I think there's something special that happens sometimes between collaborators and it's like a, a spark that happens where they make these classic sounds. And I think when collaborators reunite, that's something that fans can get excited about. Yeah, you just wait till I drop this Pro Science 3 and reunite with my man Q. Oh, snap about to be something serious fire i'm excited about that okay so what do you think about this like speaking of like the sound and cohesion and just collaborating with different producers i was watching um you know one of the recent episodes uh, drink champs when mm -hmm. when kanye was on there one part that kind of stuck out to me that he was talking about is the beats that we use in hip-hop we're, the, we're using the 808s, we're using like these dark sounds and now he's doing, he's doing gospel and he's right. saying, you know, gospel doesn't really use, the more he's learning about that gospel music, he was like, gospel doesn't use those dark sounds, those dark drums, uh -huh. those 808s. He believes that that dark sound in our music is kind of messing with our mind in a way. To where we have this kind of mindset where we come from this dark place. Sometimes the lyrics are gritty. Sometimes the lyrical content in hip-hop is very dark, is violent. You know, he he was saying that he doesn't even necessarily like 808s and Heartbreaks so much anymore because it was very dark. And he was even saying he was even in a dark place when he was making some of those songs. Sure. So how, like, what do you think about that? Like using those beats that, cause I love heavy bass personally, yeah. but he's very think, right though. It is very dark. I think it's an interesting point. Um, I think for me, it's probably a little bit too philosophical. Like music is music, right? I mean, definitely there's different music that gives you vibes, uh, different types of vibes. And I think that that's good. You know, I like, I like a, um, 
different sounds and they, they, they give you a different type of energy. Uh, but I think maybe, I mean, it's Kanye West, right? So <laughs> maybe he's getting a little too deep down the philosophical hole with, for me, as far as saying like, oh, now this is messing with people's energy and the type of music. Like, I don't know about all that, but I, I see his point. I can definitely see the point he's trying to make. Uh, I wouldn't subscribe to that, though, personally. Yeah, it's very different. Like, I personally, like, I like minor chords. Like, I like hearing something a little bit dark because it gives me this kind of gritty vibe. It's just, like, reminding me of the past, like, growing up in New Jersey for a little bit, like, being around, like, Newark, like, East Orange. Like, I feel like it's giving me that flavor when I hear, like, that grit, like, those minor oh, chords. Man. See, and I'm, I'm, I'm the weirdo. I prefer hard, gritty grimy like that's my preference over pleasant or you know what I mean and that's just me though it's funny like so I was playing a beat that I made for a friend of mine and it's the it's the intro and the outro to this to this podcast I was playing the intro coming up with lyrics and my friend he was like this makes me feel like I want to kill myself listening to this I was Damn. like, dang, but it's like, but I love that grit. I'm like, I was feeling it. But yeah, it does bring people to a different place depending on how you're listening to it, I suppose. Right, yeah. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. There's I started... No uh, that, uh, music can change vibes for sure. And but. it's kind of, it's, it's a shift though because I picked up guitar. I started learning guitar a few years back. And I was told about different chords that you play on the guitar. R&B chords are specific chords on the guitar. Gospel and spiritual music chords, they're, they're specific chords that you play for gospel music or for spiritual music. So I understood what Kanye was saying, but it, to me it was like an adjustment because I'm used to listening to hip-hop and R&B growing up with that. But then I'm like learning because I was in a seminary school learning how to play gospel music on the guitar. And I was like, wow, it sounds very light. This sounds very happy. This <laughs> sounds very pleasant. We're ushering in the spirit. I'm like, okay, I feel it. I feel it. But I'm like, it, it was not natural to me at all to pick those lighter sounds and those lighter chords yeah. with the music that I like to listen to. So it, it's definitely an adjustment. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's why I like to do stuff different too. Like I, I, I'll hop on something like that because... Mm -hmm. Like, it's a challenge for me. It's like, okay, let me see how versatile can I really be. Like, I wrote an R&B song last summer, or two, last year, 2020. Uh -huh. And man, like, I was, like, so proud of myself because I never, I had written a couple of things before for, like, a female mm -hmm. artist. Mm -hmm. But I was just super proud. I was like, man, I really can just do so much if I put my mind to it. Yeah. And I can stretch my, stretch my talents you know what I mean, To in just so many different ways. So I like different type of beats. My preference, of course, is always gritty type, you know, because yeah. that's just that's my core as an MC. But, yeah, man, I, I like some of the pleasantly stuff. And my son, he really likes those type of, uh, you know, those type of songs that kids are liking now, lighthearted and I don't even know how to describe but it. Like but like dance, like dance songs. Sometimes I think about that, like, oh, this will be a beat my kid will like. And then I'm like, all right. Yeah, well, that's good to just bring that lightheartedness, that fun back, you know, to yeah, hip-hop. exactly. You know, it's all about the dance moves and, you know, just mm -hmm. talking about how nice you are and, like, look at my two-step, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Keep it light. Yeah. All right. Keep so, it light. My man Banks told me, like, you don't always, he told me this a long time ago, but he was like, not everything has to be crazy lyrical crazy hardcore and he was so right i still that's that really stuck with me this is like in the early when we were just getting back we're like barbarians and stuff but that really resonated with me you know what i mean it's like you don't have to limit yourself to just doing you know hardcore type of extreme lyricism stuff like make dope music by just doing stuff that's lighthearted or not as deep or not as complicated for people to listen to that's true and it is good to have like a little bit of variety too because i remember mm -hmm. going to a party back in the day the person who was throwing the party was from new york they got a dj and the instructions he gave to the dj was like only play all east coast music all east coast hip-hop and at the time, Jeez. at the time, there, was, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of dance songs that were coming out of the East Coast during that time. So a lot of people were just in the party, just standing around. 
People couldn't dance, like, because it was too hard. It was too grimy. It's like, okay, you play M.O.P., like, how is a girl supposed to be dancing? <laughs> you know what I mean? So they did have to switch it up at some point in time. Cause you yeah, could... you got to throw something in there. That's funny. That's how I be feeling with albums, though, sometimes. Like I said, like, I want to, I got to throw some other stuff in here, you know? Yeah. So different vibes. So you think you might have a an R and B song on your next album? I did a uh, EP with this cat named Zanny DeVito. Mm-hmm. He's the one who produced the song, and I'm telling you, it's so lit. I tried to record it, and I could not. You know, I'm not. I ain't no singer. <laughs> I tried to record this song. I spent probably about three hours, and I couldn't get past like the first two, three bars of the song. It just didn't sound right to me. Yeah. I can't, you know, I'm not a singer and it sounds away in your head and I could not replicate in yeah. my mind how it's supposed to sound. Yeah. So I put it on the back burner. I still have it. I was thinking maybe the better thing probably would just be to find an artist who can actually sing. Yeah. And then just let them, let them rock it. Cause bro, I'm telling you, it's fire. When I tell you I wrote a dope R&B joint, I wrote a dope R&B joint. Okay. See, and that's the tough part, too, as an artist. Like, sometimes it's like, well, here's something in our head and try to lay it down, and it's just not coming out. It's just not yeah. quite. And uh, I, was so, I was hurt, too, because I was like, this is the one. I was like, they'll play it on the radio if I get it sounding right. But that's frustrating because I, I run into that when I'm making beats. So I just started making beats last year. And sometimes I'm like, okay, I know how I want the beat to sound in my mind. And I'm trying to find the right instruments. Mm. <laughs> and I'm going through it and I'm like, this is not it. Like, And yeah, I would just beat uh, myself up. It's, it's very know. frustrating. So, so what do you think about this? Like, how long should somebody be working on a song before they're like, okay, because you said you were working on these bars for about three hours. You're like, you know what? This is not it. Let me go find somebody else. Like, how long should somebody work on something before they're like, you know what? I got to get some help because this is not working. I mean, it's one of those things where it probably just depends on the individual. For me, the situation was is uh, studio, time, studio time ain't cheap. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't waste three hours of studio. That's oh, you were in the studio. <laughs> wasted not getting anywhere. I'm like, you know what? This is just going to have to go on the back burner for now yeah you know so i guess it just depends on your resources and how committed you are into getting it done um but i don't i don't i don't know i think probably it's healthy sometimes when you when you hit a barrier with music making to step away maybe do something different and then revisit it yeah and there's nothing wrong with going in to outsource going to ask for help yeah okay absolutely absolutely like i can't hit these notes let me get a singer or sometimes i'll just I'll just rewrite the song. I'll be like, nope, I'm taking this part out. You know, sometimes, like, even with, when I write rhymes and stuff, like, I say stuff a lot of times that is in service of the song more than how I actually feel or, like, how... I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to say, but a lot of times you just do stuff in service of the music. Yeah. And not for your ego or not for yourself or whatever it may be. Yeah. So well, whether that that's, sense. hey, I got to find somebody to sing this, like you said, or, hey, I got to rewrite this, or, you know. That makes sense, so, too, because, you know, too. sometimes it's like you'll listen to a beat, and, you know, it kind of speaks to you. Like, the beat feels like it needs to have a verse like this on there, or this beat needs mm-hmm. to have a song, like a singing part, like this, you know what I mean? It's like, it is in service to the music, like, oh, man, this beat would sound dope if I was singing this hook, but it's like, I can't really sing like that, so it's like, you know, so yeah, it is a delicate balance, like, dang, I could rewrite this hook, but this song is going to be way tighter if I can get my notes together and sing this part. Right. Yeah, and to challenge yourself, and it can be fun to, to challenge yourself, and, you know, in my case, I got a vocal coach, so I can hit these nodes, do my my warm ups and all that. You're right. See, I didn't even. I just went straight in there raw. I ain't never sang a note in my life. <laughs> went in there thinking I'm about to make the R&B hit of the year. You thought? Oh no! So singers would be mad at you if they are gonna be mad at you if you thought you was really gonna go in there and start singing like you knew what you were doing all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get back to that joint though. Watch. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, so you got to look at some vocal warm-ups. They're out there every day, too. You gotta... so, and the thing about it, too, it's kind of selfish. It's so cold that I like. I want to do it. I want it to be my song. You totally but should. But I'm like, shit, I'll probably, I should probably just get somebody that can sing it. 
You know what? If I it did... was my joint, it'd probably be, it'd be dope. It'd be like probably one of my biggest joints. You know what I did? I did like a happy medium. Like my first single I dropped is called Royal P Interlude. And I did that and I was just like, you know what? I need to have like a little singing part. And I wanted to do like a little nod to Aaliyah in the song. And I was like, mm-hmm. I really got to do this. So I just pulled out my little vocal tuner, practiced my notes, make sure that everything was on key. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this short part. Like, I'm not going to be singing the whole way through this song. Like, I'm going to just sing, you know, like in the a intro, in the outro. Yeah. And so I have another song coming too. Like I was hitting, I was hitting these oohs. I was hitting these oohs. I was on it. Like, <laughs> get ready. Get ready for these oohs coming through. Because so was, that was from the diaphragm. Okay, so let me ask you, so what do you value in life, and how does that come off in your music? Like, do you think your life imitates the art that you're putting out there, or do you think the music, the art imitates life? Probably a little bit of both, I would say. Um, Like, I, I definitely write some introspective songs sometimes and kind of give a little peek into like the actual real happenings of my life so I do do that but a lot of times I just write story you know I'm a storyteller so I can just I'll tell stories and I'll say stuff that's not necessarily true but it's dope you know what I'm saying like um, so I it's definitely a mix of both yeah uh, of life imitating the art and then the art imitating the life for sure and it's it's funny because i feel like some of the the songs where i'm more introspective and actually speaking about real things are actually some of my you know some of my personal favorite songs maybe just because they're personal yeah but yeah there's a there's definitely a, a mix of both i would say in my music so what do you say to those like they're making music and they're capping on their music. You know, they're trying to make something hot, but they're saying stuff that's not really true to who they really are. Like, you might have even a female MC that's, like, being uh, very sexual in her lyrics, but she might not actually get down like that. Or there's yeah. there's MCs that's talking about gangbanging and not shooting people and all this kind of stuff, but it's like, they ain't never picked up a gun. But now it's like, they sure. kind of feel like they have to now because it's in their songs and people are testing them now. It's like... What do you say yeah. to people who are making this inauthentic music? I mean, it's tough, man, because, like, it's very hard to separate, like, violence and sexuality from hip-hop music, in my opinion. Um, you can do it, but it's always been there, uh, and it's always been some of the more popular aspects of rap music, hip-hop music, right? The violence, the gangbang, and the sex, the over-sexuality, like, um, it's just a part of it, you know? And I don't necessarily knock people. Like, back in the day, people would definitely come down hard on artists for faking the funk, if you will, and, and lying in their raps and stuff like that. But I don't know. Personally, like I said, I'm a storyteller. I could write a whole story that ain't never happened, right? Yeah. Does that make me inauthentic as an artist? No. So I guess it just depends. When people really try to, I guess, the, I guess the the balance or where the line is drawn is, are you really trying to portray that in your artistry as well, mm-hmm. or are you making it clear that this is music? You know, does yeah. that make sense to you? Like yeah. some people will talk crazy in their raps, but clearly they're not even trying to act like that. That's really what's going on. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it so, is a delicate balance. It's an interesting thing. I, I think it's tough. I don't, I don't really come down on artists for that anymore. Like in my younger, my ask the younger vivid, and you know, I might have had a different response to it. But I mean, nowadays you don't even know people ain't even writing their own stuff half the time. You know, <laughs> that's so true. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I look at the credits. It's just entertainment at the end of the day to me. It you know? is. It really is. It really should all so be you entertainment. Out on actors from playing gangbangers in movies, and then when you see them, they're not really a gangbanger. No, they're an actor. <laughs> well, that's true. It's entertainment. Well, just like to your point, like there's certain things that are like rooted in hip hop music that makes it a part of the culture. Because right. just like you said, like, yeah, so somebody who's playing a gangbanger on a movie, like, no one's going to be checking them in real life. 
Like, hey, homie, right. what's and it? You know, I, they're not going to be. I done shot, I probably done shot like 30 niggas in my raps. <laughs> way like to handle pressure like that pressure to change or that pressure to follow a trend you know like like drill for example like that's something that's hot right now so there's like all kinds of people that's coming out with these drill beats you know and the lyrical content that go along with the drill like you can't be making a dance song talking about having fun partying in a drill song like you got to talk about how you about to do a drive-by on somebody on you know some crazy in the drill like so how do you like how do you handle that pressure if someone is saying like even like we were talking about earlier like how you're working with a different producer or you're working with a different songwriter and you know sometimes people are like hey we want to hear the old you or we want to hear something like this or something like that coming from you like how do you how do you handle that pressure to to follow what you want to make or to follow a trend that's hot right now you know for me i don't really feel that type of pressure i don't really i would say 75 percent of the music i make is stuff that for me and stuff that i want to do stuff that i think's dope a lot of time that coincides with what's going on yeah a lot of times i like what the new trend that's going on and want to kind of do something, put my own spin on something. Uh, but I, I've never really felt pressured to keep up with a particular trend. And I think, you know, as you, as someone who's observed and participated and, and loved hip hop for basically my entire life, you'll see that trends come and go with hip hop music quite frequently. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't think any artist should really feel pressured to do what's trending right now because chances are by the end of the year that trend is going to be gone that's true why did you even conform to that you know so i just think people should do what feels natural to them if it's in line with what's popular then great um but never feel pressured to do something yeah i mean i and that's just me speaking as an independent artist right i'm sure there's probably artists that are signed to labels who are feeling that pressure pretty significantly from like, you know, executives and stuff like, Hey, we need an, an X, Y, and Z type of song. Yeah. And that's probably, that's the type of pressure I haven't felt. So I can't really speak to that, but just me personally, like I make music for myself more than anything. So, you know, and like I said, a lot of the trends I like, I like drill beats. I'll drill get down on it. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? You know the type of trend I like currently is I really like the Detroit, Flint, Michigan type beats that mm-hmm. people was hopping on. I love them type of beats, and I've been looking for some. So it just depends, you know. Hip hop is always trendy, right? But they come and go. That's true. Shout out Flint, Michigan. Shout out Detroit. You heard it right yeah. here too. If you're a producer out there, Vivid is looking for you. Yeah, man. I've been uh, I've been looking for some. I mean, I found a couple, but. Uh, you know, I'm looking for something like that. I, I want to do something like that. Those those beats are hard to me, and I know I could ride one of those, you know. But the one trend that I have not really got down with that's kind of gone away, but it's still here lingering, is the offbeat rhyming trend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird. It's, <laughs> I, it's weird. <laughs> it, yeah, it's definitely very strange. It does kind of throw me off a little bit listening to yeah. that. But mine, you know what? When I do that, it's it's by accident, because you know I'm because I'm new to making beats, you know. So sometimes, so since I'm new to making beats, you know, sometimes when I'm looping my beat, by the time it gets to the eighth bar, sometimes the beat goes off a little bit, and I'm like, dang. So I'm like, how do I correct that? So sometimes I'll just like rhyme over it, like psh, forget it, like I can rap over this, like you know. <laughs> It's such an interesting thing how that came about. It's like I feel like I'm. I consider myself pretty, pretty elite at rapping. Like I can rap in all different kinds of ways, fast, yeah, you know, slow, whatever. Yeah. But that is one thing that I'm not sure that I could 
actively <laughs> try to do. Like, I don't know that I can try to actually be offbeat like how these guys are Yeah, it, it definitely does throw you off when you hear it. You're like, wait a second. I mean, I probably could if I really I'm pretty sure you could. I'm pretty sure. Just, you just start rapping. Just boom. You don't care what the beat is doing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's talk about some controversy a little bit. Like being an MC, there's some controversy going on about Astral World and what happened. So so first of all, like condolences to the families uh, for those who who lost someone attending the Astral World event. But what do you think about what happened there and how Travis Scott and his his team are getting piled up with lawsuits about what happened? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's really, really unfortunate, and it's, like you said, condolences to the people injured and, and those who lost their lives there. It's very, very sad. I, I don't know. It's a, it's another interesting conversation. Uh, I, I see that Travis Scott, a lot of people are putting the blame at Travis Scott's feet, and they're doing all these lawsuits against him, and I don't know that I completely agree with that. I feel like more, I feel like the blame probably is more for the, you know, concert or the uh, concert organizers and the people that are behind the scenes putting that on because it's at what point, I don't know, I just feel like greed is paid, is the, the biggest player, right? As far as how many people are you trying to fit into a festival or how many tickets is enough to sell? Like it's like never enough. I feel like so if they let if they would allow it, they'd let a million people just be in a field trampling each other just to sell tickets, right? And I, is that Travis Scott's fault? Maybe he has some blame to that, but I don't know. I don't think he's. It's really it's a it's a really interesting conversation, and I can see both sides of it. I can see why people feel like he's you know at fault but when you're on stage and you've got i don't know how many people were there i don't i don't know but i thought there was supposed to be like supposed to control that as a as an individual right i mean especially outside too like i thought there was some like a certain limit like per every x amount of people there's supposed to be a certain amount of security there yeah i don't know like that's what i'm saying it's like how much is too much like it gets to the point where it seems to me where it just becomes um, unmanageable. Like there's there's no way you can control that many people. In my opinion, it's unfortunate it happened, but I feel like they need to start limiting, you know, some of these outrageous festivals. Well, I it's just thousands yeah. upon thousands of people. It's like yeah, you know, what do you expect? And I think part of it too is like the the culture of the environment too because this is not like the first festival that has ever happened. You know, there's been festivals since freaking Woodstock. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. So it's like, you're not hearing, like maybe people are doing these illicit drugs, they're doing crazy drugs at Woodstock, but people are not stampeding and bum rushing and stomping over people and all these kind of things. A lot of that is the fans' fault too. Like these fans need to control themselves. Yeah, remember you were saying before, people are just savages. The people are savage, man. At the end of the day, I do think that they shouldn't let maybe minors. I saw that, uh, what was it? Rolling Loud is not letting minors come anymore. Oh, wow. Or something like that. Mm, okay. Which I think might be a good decision. If it's not going to yeah. be like a seated arena type of situation, maybe you shouldn't have kids in a crowd of thousands of people doing drugs and, and carrying on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I back to what you said about, like, acting right, keeping your head on straight, it's, it's about common sense, really. I mean, yeah. and if there's these minors who are coming in these events, they don't have no sense. They're busting through the gate. They're stomping over people. I mean, I remember right. I was even just watching the Astro World footage where there were people, it was like a human barricade. People were trying to, like, rally around a couple of individuals who fell so that they could just have that space and the opportunity to lift them up off the ground. And there were people even pushing them out the way. And just stepping I don't on the people. The mentality, like how I, how do you idolize somebody so to that point where you're rushing, rushing them and hurting people, stopping people to, to what? What do you think you're gonna get close to them, touch them, shake their hand? Or like I don't even get that level of idolization. There ain't no, there's not one famous person 
in this world that I would act crazy like that to go see. <laughs> Not one. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I'm just maybe it's just me. I agree, but I think it's like the the culture, like they're trying to blame Travis Scott, like, okay, well, you know, he's talking about ignore security, but not to that level, though, like to not, like when I first, well, because the thing is, it was really entertaining when I first saw Travis Scott, I think it was like at a summer jam or something, and they were airing it on title, so I was watching the live feed, and there was a cameraman that the radio station sent to film him from different angles. So the cameraman was on the stage behind him, next to him, all this. Travis Scott was like, who are you? (laughs) Who are you? Get out of my way. So he kicks the cameraman off the stage. And he says it in the the lyrics of one of his songs, how he kicked the cameraman off the stage. But then he also, he wanted to get closer to the audience at one point in time. So he wanted to get closer to the crowd. And security was trying to hold him back, trying to keep him secure, quote unquote. But he wanted to get closer to the fans. So he's telling security, get out of the way. Don't hold me back. Don't hold the fans back. Let them touch me. Let them, I want to hold their hand. Like, you know, he wanted to get closer to them. So he was kind of. So he definitely invited some of that. See, I I didn't really, I didn't have heard that before. I didn't really, I kind of just knew high level what happened. I didn't follow it too closely. Like what, eight or nine people lost their lives. Yeah. A nine-year-old kid. I kind of just knew the high level details. But definitely, I mean, if that's the case, it sounds like he probably invited a lot of that violence, which is, um, Unfortunately, that definitely would change my opinion as far as maybe some of his liability there. And that's why I have a bit of a hot take here, because honestly, like as an MC, I believe like historically your job is to control the crowd. Like that's what an MC does. That's what it stands for. Yeah, so it's like where right ceremonies exactly. That's what an MC is supposed to do in hip hop historically. So I'm like, well, where was that crowd control? You know, to yeah. But like I said earlier, though, if you one person, how you control three hundred thousand? They're all there to see you at the end of the day. Celebrities, they're influencers, you know. So I definitely believe that he could have used his influence to calm everything down, to even stop the show if he had to. Like, yo, I'm stopping. That might have made it worse. You know, it could have been. Calm down! I'm gonna stop the show. (laughs) You think think they're gonna react good to that? Well, like what? Like it could go different ways. Like say they probably switch on them. It goes from yeah, love to hate. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's yeah, that's true. Like I don't think he could have like walked off the stage. That would have made it crazy. But like I think there could have just been a creative way where he could have been like, okay, like y'all need to calm down, like something. Like he was kind of doing this chant. He was doing like a little hum chant while security was trying to get through. The ambulances were trying to get through. He was still kind of like, keep it calm. I think maybe if he had done that a little while longer, people might have been chill. They might have had to put on some Zen music or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Put some harps. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> get everybody to like kind of chill out a little bit. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was kind of tough to watch, unfortunately, but... Yeah, that's very Hopefully sad. things um, will get better. It'd be interesting to see what ramifications come from that. Like I said, I just saw that Rolling Loud has changed some of their yeah. attendance rules. That's a good idea. We'll see if that kind of carries forward. That's a good idea. These other big festivals. And people just need to calm down overall because, I mean, nobody... At the end of the day, like I said, who, who idolizes somebody to that point where you're getting correct, you're stampeding? Like, yeah that's crazy i think the fans need to take some personal responsibility like yeah i did run that's over crazy. some people and knock some people over yeah i did yeah i am crazy crazy <laughs> that's messed up but yeah the fans definitely have to take some personal responsibility for that and that's one thing that a lot of people really aren't saying at all well vivid scientific thank you so much for joining me i really appreciate it now tell us how we can find you What's coming up next for us to watch out for? Thank you for having me. You can find me on Instagram at Vivid Scientific. Uh, you can stream my music everywhere. Vivid Scientific, if you search it, you'll find me on all the platforms. I have two projects that are actually completed right now. I'm going to drop a tape with a producer named Zay V out of Denver. Super dope, young kid, crazy, boom bat style beats like really really authentic hip-hop sound type beats so i got i got i think i got seven or eight joints done with him just kind of waiting on the timing for that one i've been letting my last project breathe i just dropped with gloomy sunday vivid sunday was the most recent album 
still kind of giving that some breathing room before I go right back in. And then, of course, I got Pro Science 3 coming sometime next year with my man Pro Q. That's that's really the, you know, that's the crown jewel, I feel like. A lot of that music is old, honestly, to me. Uh, the project has been done for well over a year, but even still, the, the songs on there, in my opinion, are some of the best that I've done. And it's some of Q's best work, too, as a producer. And I am just super proud of that project, and I can't wait to get it out and let people hear it. But those are the two things on the horizon. I've been getting produce, producers hitting me up left and right, you know, trying to uh, get something off the ground. So we'll just kind of see what's next from there. I'm always writing and stuff still. I've just been trying to find the right inspiration and see what's going to be next. But I definitely have at least two coming. Well, I'm excited. In the meantime, we could check out that Vivid Sunday. Vivid Scientific and gloomy, yeah, and gloomy and that gloomy science too. I'm a fan for sure. Like, Thank you. Yeah, that's something yeah, I like to we, keep playing. You know, I'm super proud of both of those projects as well. Uh, gloomy Sunday is another incredible young kid. Man, I don't know what it is about these young kids that just got the best ear with sampling and and just chopping these chopping these beats, man. But these kids are killing it. Yeah, Vivid Sunday. Please check that out. Be on the lookout for my next project with Zay-V Untitled. I've been looking, I've been uh, trying to figure out what we're going to call it. I got to get some cover art together, you know, some of the last details before we're ready to get that off the ground, but she's pretty soon here. Plenty of music out there in the meantime, so I appreciate I, stuff out there, yeah, I so. appreciate your work ethic, staying in the studio, putting out so much good music for us to listen to, so thank you so much thank once so again. Much. Yeah, thank you. That does it for another episode of the First Fridays podcast. Shout out to all the SoundCloud listeners. Make sure you like, comment, follow, get all the notifications for the next one. And of course, big shout out to all of the visitors at thegodcollection.com. We out.